Whether you think like so or not, that is a number fucking one, and if, if that bastard don't go, then you could, like, I'll fucking retire. I fucking do. I think it is a good song. I agree, it is a good song. But it fucking well won't be unless we spend a little bit of fucking thought and imagination to fucking make it fucking number one. You gotta put a little bit of fucking fairy dust over the bastard. You know, look at, you know, oh, look at some fairy dust well, over it. I'll piss out of the town. I'm a fairy dust. You know what I mean? It's, 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 I don't know what, I don't know what it needs then, but ah. it needs. Fucking drummer, I shit him. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. One, two, one, two, three, four. You're doing it fucking wrong. I'm actually drinking some hot chocolate now instead of our usual really? alcohol. Yeah, just as I'm cold, I was chilly, and I said, you know, I think I'm going to have some hot chocolate. So right, I'm officially okay. turning, turning in, into an old man. That's fine. <laughs> Tim, what are, you, uh, what are you drinking this evening, if anything? I have some, I have some water that I injected bubbles into with my soda stream. Wow. Oh, Living yeah. large. I'm in, yeah, I, you know, I'm in California, so it's 5 o'clock. It's right. taco night here, so there will be margaritas when I'm done with this. Excellent. Oh, okay, Very good. good. All yeah. right, let's do this thing. Let's do this. Yeah, are you ready, Tim? I am ready. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of That Record Got Me High. That is Barry Stock. And that is Rob Elba. And we're certainly... Uh, thrilled to have you all with us again this week it's another week and uh we it's appreciate really you all whether listening. we're thrilled to have them it's whether they're thrilled to have us is of course well, the know, more important question hyperbole i am there is some hyperbole in both you know thrilled, is a, is thrilled. A, our guest tonight is mr tim quirk and am i pronouncing your name tim is, is it quirk yeah just like it quirk is. of fate quirk of nature there you go is uh, that's your real family name, Quirk? It's my real family name. And okay. When I, was, when I was in a band and, and people would review my records uh, or interview us, my dad always got pissed off whenever he read a, a review or an interview where, where I got asked that question. Okay. Oh, no. Why well, does everybody well, think it's a stage name? It's a good, <laughs> honest name. It's been in the family for generations. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to join the ranks of people that have annoyed your uh, dad, Tim. So. Yeah. Well, uh, last week, <laughs> you, sh- you should feel lucky because last week he just flat out made fun of the guest name. So we, we, <laughs> we're going to have oh, to. Yeah. What was his name, though, Barry? Come on. Dingus. His last name was Dingus, Tim. <laughs> That's, yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, you, get a, you get a pass for that, I'm pretty sure. I become yeah. 12 years old when someone has a name like Dingus. I yeah. become a 12 year old again. Okay. Um, all right. So many of you would know Tim from the New York band Too Much Joy. 
and uh, Tim, uh, you got you guys just released. Is, is it out? Did you release the uh, full length? Is it out or is it still coming out or is it actually it is, out? It is. It is coming out. So we recorded our first album in uh, over twenty five years. Uh, we started recording it. You know, I mean, well during the pandemic, everybody was sheltering in place and losing their minds. So uh, we just started making some music. Uh, we funded it with an Indiegogo campaign, and so the deal was we said we were going to finish it by Christmas, and anyone who donated to the Indiegogo campaign would get the record before Christmas. So it's kind of out if you donated, but it's ah. officially coming out to the public on March 19th. Cool. Ah, nice. And did did you guys record it actually virtually recorded, or did you guys get together and record it? Uh, it was a combination. Half the band, or I would say three-fifths of the band, lives on the East Coast, um, and they would uh, lay down the rhythm tracks in you know, in large studios wearing masks, doing the bass and drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would uh, venture down the guitar player. I live in Oakland, California. The guitar player lives in Los Angeles, so I would go down there. I uh, went down there three or four times for you know a couple of weekends um, because he's sort of his family was in my pod. He was he was getting tested regularly, uh, okay. and I wouldn't go anywhere except you know his house. Um, so we would record guitars and vocals together at his house, um, and then all of us would do little bits here and there, you know, just in at home. Oh, uh, nice. so it was a combination of like we were never all five of us were never in the same room at the same time. Okay. Uh, but that's that's great. That's awesome that you guys still actually uh, remain number one, uh, remain friends like uh, friendly, and uh, got together after like twenty five years and made music again. That's actually amazing, really. You know, cause that's uh, that's rare. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the pandemic. Everybody was just angry and bored. So yeah, those are the, uh, okay. those are, those ah. are the key ingredients for a good so too much joy. Familiar, so familiar your feelings in these. Tim's uh, putting a, uh, a positive spin on the pandemic. Yeah, and, uh, angry and just bored. Real, yes. Just real quick, Barry. I don't even know if you know this, but uh, they um, too much joy and Tim. They do have a South Florida connection because in uh, 1990 they played this short-lived club in Hollywood called Club Futura. And they got arrested because it was right. Uh, a two live crew had played like a week or two before, <laughs> and they got arrested. So too much joy said they were going to play, uh, you know, uh, two live crew songs. And then sure enough, the cop showed up. Hollywood cop showed up. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm shocked. Really, the Hollywood cops <laughs> yeah. are usually so generous and nice that they uh, so shocked that they did that. Yeah, they tried. They tried. They they, they they arrested the three of us who were singing, and then uh, one of them was like, "Wait a minute, we didn't get the drummer." And <laughs> another cop said, "Well, the drummer didn't sing." And this really super overzealous deputy goes, "Yeah, but I saw him mouthing the words." Oh, uh, yeah. that's that's. I Shout mean, that, out to the Hollywood story. Police Department, who <laughs> I've had so many. Um, how would you say unsatisfying interactions with myself over the years? So. Um, in the 23 years I've lived in Hollywood. And that's just Barry walking around Hollywood uh, humming two live crew songs to himself. And they still... Shooting uh, birds at cops. You know you're allowed to shoot a bird at a cop. The Supreme Court has ruled that that is protected speech and that you can shoot a bird at a cop. You know what? That's awesome, Barry. I wouldn't recommend it. These days, I I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend it. All that that means is that you'll get found not guilty at the trial. It doesn't mean they won't... Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not that bored or that angry, so not not yet. But all right, so Tim, what did you bring? Uh, we didn't as we could talk and talk about uh, too much joy and about two live crew, but what did what did you bring for us to talk about today? 
I bought one of my favorite albums of all times, uh, The Mekons Rock and Roll. All right. Awesome. And I'm going to be brutally honest right off the... Uh, uh, right off the bat and say I was not uh, familiar. I mean, I had heard of Mekons, obviously, but I I don't think I'd ever listened to an album, a Mekons album, and I never did. And and this album is fantastic. It's amazing. But I, I'm coming to it totally uh, as a uh, Mekons newbie uh, last week when I started listening to it. Honestly, that's wonderful to hear because I compare this record in my mind to uh, Don DeLillo's White Noise in that it's the it's it's the best entry point to a brilliant artist's oeuvre uh-huh. uh, it's I mean the Mekons have made a lot of records some yeah of them are, right I saw that yeah some of them are more art damaged than others they're all wonderful some are more wondrous than others um, this one has the benefit of having everything great about Mekons records in a really really catchy and easy to listen to package that doesn't sacrifice any of the depth or heft of their other work and that's the same way i feel about white noise it's if i want you know if somebody has heard of don delillo but has never like tackled him it's a really good entry point because it's a quick read it's a fairly easy read but it's still just as weighty and profound uh, as okay. stuff. yeah there you go so barry how about you? Were you already? Uh, I was familiar. familiar. I was aware of the Mekons, and I have listened to this record in the past, but I haven't listened to it probably in a few years. And um, yeah, I uh, I think that for a lot of people, this is like the yeah, like you said, like uh, uh, Don DeLillo, the White Noise. This is the entry point, and for some people, it would be you know if you need one Mekons record, it would be this record that it encompasses everything that people find um, uh, appealing and and um, inspiring about them in one uh, oddly a major label package. Um, yeah, <laughs> a, you know yeah. you wonder at the time, and this is a funny because does, Rob, does the time frame sound familiar for signing with a major label? Um, this is a their 1989 record, 1990 thereabouts. And, um, 1989. And, yep, uh, and several, on, uh, uh, several bands that we have um, have spoken with on the show have you know those stories of the major label signing in that you know that time frame and yep. uh, the same outcome <laughs> of <laughs> you know yes that, well, phone, you that phone call from the label. Yeah, well, they were, I mean, they were just, this was it pretty much. A&M, this was the only record I think they did with A&M, right, Tim? Um, I believe so. Yeah, they were They were on, a, you know, they were on Twin Tone, and so they got scooped up with a bunch of other Twin Tone bands. Uh, they were on Twin Tone in the States, I should specify. And right, so right. I believe, I believe that's how they wound up on A&M. Uh, and in 1989, I should make clear to everybody, I was already a uh, kind of a, worshiping fanatic of the Mekons before this record came out. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to ask. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, to the extent that my band had actually written the song uh, and released a song called If I Was a Mekon about how I love <laughs> Mekons. Okay. I saw that. I was going to ask you on your uh, second, on Too Much Joy's second record, Son of San I Am, right? It was re-released and there was a song on there called If I Was a Mekon. I, I, I noticed that just in, in doing research on this and I said, oh, okay, well, there you go. Yeah, and so one day in 1980. I think it was 19, it was the end of 1988 or beginning of 1989. Uh, I, my, the guitar player and Too Much Joy and I were at some 
event at a nightclub in New York called the Palladium. Uh, and there was like, there was a bar, so we were having some drinks. I was in the men's room using the urinal, and I looked up to my side, and John Langford from the Mekons was peeing next to me. There you go. Uh, and so he sort of like, I was just staring at him. <laughs> he kind of, he looks over. What's and, like, that, bro? Because there's a creepy creep <laughs> staring at him in a men's room. And I said, I just said, you're John Langford from the Mekons. And he said, <laughs> yeah. And I said, oh, my band wrote a song. We love you so much. We wrote a song about you. And he goes, well, sing it to me. Uh, and I said, well, hold on. I have to go get the guitar player. So I ran out of the bathroom. I zipped up. I ran out of the bathroom, got the guitar player, came back. Um, and the guitar, Jay, the guitar player sitting there going, jing, 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 basically singing the guitar part. And I found <laughs> the was a new song to John Langford. And we got to the end of it, and he liked it so much, he said, wait a minute, I have to go get the rest of the band. Uh, Not the whole band was at the club, but a bunch of them were. So he brought us over to the table where they were drinking with, I think, Doug Simmons, the music editor of the Village Voice at the time. And they made us sing him the song. And what I didn't know, but some or all of them were on ecstasy at the time. So, uh, <laughs> explains perhaps the receptivity to the yeah. urinal uh, serenade. Yeah, and as a result, we got to open. I don't know if it was a result of that, but that it couldn't have hurt uh, when we wound up uh, getting the opening gig for them when they toured the states on this particular record in 1989. Right. So oh, nice. I got to hear all these songs over and over again every night, and they just got better and better. I bet. Wow. So now, how does a young Tim Quirk uh, in New York get come across a British? Because these guys were a British post punk band they formed like in the late 70s so they'd already had a whole a whole bunch of records out but how did you uh, discover them and come across them so it was uh i had i the only thing i knew about them was that on the liner notes to one of my three favorite records of all time at the time uh entertainment by gang of four it said on the liner notes hello to me cons Ah. Right. So one day I was in a Berkeley record store, I think it was Rasputin's, and I was just flipping through the British imports, and I got to this Mekons record. Uh, not this Mekons, a different Mekons record, their second record, Devil's Rats and Piggies. And I was like, oh, what the hell? Gang of Four likes them. I'll take a chance on it. So I bought that record, and I took it home, and frankly, I hated it. Um, <laughs> oh, were, really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I've come to love it now, knowing more about them. But if, if this right. is the best entry point to the Mekons, Devil Rats and Piggies is absolutely right. the worst entry point. Well, that's to the not Mekons. the entire uh, the entire title of the album is the Mekons, aka Devil's Rats and Piggies, a special message from Godzilla. That so. is correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, and their early stuff is uh, challenging. <laughs> I, I listen to some of their early stuff. Yeah, the trouble. I mean, I've, I've I've become friendly with the band, and and I I know the guys in Gang of Four, so I've got, I've heard the stories from both of them. But basically, they all formed around. You know, they were all going to Leeds University. They all formed their bands at the same time. But Gang of Four actually knew how to play their instruments, right? And the Beatons most decidedly did not. Ah, uh, uh, right, right, right. And so they were, you know, they were utter amateurs and proud of it. Um, and the joke is, they for some reason they got signed first in <laughs> in, in England. And yeah. nobody in Leeds could understand why that happened. Yeah, uh, that's um, so funny. Yeah. So anyway, then a couple of years later, I was uh, just backpacking around the UK one summer, and I was, you know, all I didn't have a lot of money. I had a Brit Rail pass and and a big yellow backpack, and the only thing I spent money on was pints of beer and and uh, British LPs that I couldn't find at home. Right. Um. 
and I bought uh, Migos had a record out uh, called um, Fear and Whiskey, and I bought that, and I carried it around with me for like you know four weeks in England with no, I had no turntable, like I, I couldn't play it on anything, right? Uh, and I didn't get to hear it till I got home. Um, but I guess I had by this point I liked Devils, Rats, and Piggies just enough to take another chance on a Migos record. And when I got back to New York, I was living in New York at the time, and finally put it on my on my stereo. I could not believe how much I loved that record and how much better they had gotten in the intervening years. Right. And it turned out they'd, they'd sort of discovered country music. Um, I think there were only two of the original members left in the band at that point. Um, and they didn't try to play country music. They just wrote sort of post-punk music that was inspired by like old Hank Williams songs. Uh, but right. singing about people in, you know, Thatcher's dystopia. Uh, and it was so compelling and so fantastic. And then they put out a couple more records. I, I won't, again, not country records, but records influenced by country where they were like wearing mm -hmm. nudie stuff. Yeah. Um, and and then by the time they got to the Mekons Rock and Roll, I was a diehard. I'd seen them live a bunch of times. Anytime they, they, when they were touring in the States, they played New York at the beginning and the end of the tour. So I could get in usually like two shows uh, on each end. So I'd see them like four times on every tour. And they just got better and better. Uh, and so when Rock and Roll came out, I actually I got an advanced cassette of it um, before it was publicly released. And I remember I was at my the woman who I'm now married to, but at the time I simply had a crush on. Uh, and I'm one of the reasons I liked her was because she had actually heard of the Mekons and liked them. Uh, and I didn't know a lot of women who knew and liked the Mekons. Yeah. Uh, and we met in in Milan. We were and uh, we're taking a train to Venice. Uh, we were just going to tool around Italy for a couple of weeks, um, you know, staying in hostels and stuff. And I had this secret thing. I had this this cassette tape of the Mekons Rock and Roll. And so I, I on the train ride from Milan to Venice, I basically put it in my Walkman and put the headphones on her. I was like, you're going to love this. Um, and I don't know if that's why she hooked up with me later on that trip, but it, it didn't hurt. Sealed the yeah, deal. So this record, this record is very special to me. Now, when when they were at at this point when they were playing live, how many people were in the band like live? Because there's it, it, there's a, a lot of people uh, playing on this. They got so they got um, Sally Timms to to sing, and uh, the they have the violin, great violinist Susie Honeyman. I saw Lou Edmonds played with them at one point too, right? Oh, the, he, uh, he, he, also he, he, the yeah, Lou, from this record or just before this record, he was in, He, I mean, he was recording with them before this record, but this record, this tour was the first time he came out on the road with them, right. over on bass. Uh, so the touring unit was Steve Golding, who used to be, he was the drummer, he used to be in uh, The Rumor with Graham Parker. Right, and right. Tom Greenhalge was one of the original members, uh, sang and played guitar. Susie Honeyman was on fiddle. Uh, John Langford, who started out as the drummer, but then uh, came out front in front of the kit and sang and played guitar. Uh, Sally Timms, just lovely, beautiful vocalist. We'll talk about that on some of these songs. And then uh, Lou Edmonds uh, was playing bass. I can't, uh, I'm so old now, I can't remember if Rico Bell was on that tour and playing accordion with him or not. But I, Right, right. He yeah. is he, listed he, as he's credited on the album, so yeah. Yeah, he booked the band before I saw every time I saw them before, but I can't remember if he was on that tour or not. And and Barry, did you notice that uh, Dick Taylor uh, plays some guitar on this too? I think. Oh, and really? He was in the uh, Pretty Things, yeah. Wow, did not. I did not know that. I was looking at the credits, and um, at least it's hard. Well, they're a hard band to find stuff 
out about them because there's not a lot of, of information out there. About I guess them. I could have dug around and looked at the, actually the pictures of the sleeve, and that probably would have given me a better idea. It, it's not easy though. It's hard. Like I said, it, it's hard. There's yeah, the credits on all music are not complete. They don't have some <laughs> of the names you met, mentioned, including Dick Taylor. And then the the uh, Wikipedia page has n- no credit, no personnel it's very listed as whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Nonetheless, um, we right, have well, a Mekons expert here on the line, so we, do, we, we don't need we any do. crap. Who, we who have the worldly, real deal. Who, just by his stories already, we could tell Barry he's worldly. Indeed. You know, a, worldly met a woman <laughs> on a train to <laughs> Milan and the cassette story <laughs> and all this crap makes us look like Barry the uh, hayseeds that we are. The, uh, <laughs> Barry, I don't think Barry's been out rubes. of his... Apartment in six months. <laughs> I leave my apartment well, no, to go. Yeah. I, I, I leave my apartment to go to the roof of the parking garage every afternoon to watch sunset, and then I come okay, back. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, all right. So let's get into this record. Uh, yeah, like I said, I was just blown away. I literally was blown away by this record because I just had had no idea. You know, this there's so much music out there. You know, you 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 can't hear everything. Yeah. Right? That's how we continue to do episodes because. We're not going to run yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we get this throbbing, churning, punk rock-ish opener uh, that's interestingly called <laughs> yeah. Memphis, Memphis, Egypt. Let's do yep. it. Immediately uh, right into the uh, left wing diatribe, um, w- without without hesitation, destroy your safe and happy lives before it's too late. The battles we fought were long and hard, just not to be consumed by rock and roll. Don't be sucked in. This is the band, their major label debut, suggesting not to be sucked in. So, um, very ironic. Obviously, they understood that. Yep, and the whole, you know, it's a very meta record. It's called the Mekons Rock and Roll. There's it a, is, right. It's 
super meta. <laughs> yeah, there's a you know there's a painting of Elvis on the cover. Uh, this is one of I think three, possibly four songs that explicitly address rock and roll as mm-hmm. uh, a commodity uh, and an illusion, and but also like you know an important life force that's that, that can be used in resistance if you don't fall for it too much. Right, right, right. So yeah, it, it, it's it's great. I love it because it, they seem to be. On one hand, they're they're expressing a, a disdain for it, but then also they're also leaning into it because yeah. they are rocking out while they're doing it. Yeah, I wanted yeah, to ask you, uh, Tim. Great. Is there is there is this the most rock and roll thing the Mekons had done up to this point? Was this record like straight ahead, like bam? Yes, this is this is. I mean, they they had had moments that rocked as hard as this uh, on earlier records, but none, no, no records that I would say rocked as hard from beginning to end and as unapologetically, or I mean, semi unapologetically, because the lyrics they don't apologize for rocking, but no. they question. Okay. Exactly. Right, they question it. <laughs> it's great, and yes, uh, yeah, musically, you could you just got that raw guitar, but then you have that a uh, descending little guitar part. Oh so yeah, they, sure. There's, there's so much going on in these songs with uh, between you know the extra instruments and the guitar interplay. It's like uh, it's great. It's really great. And yeah, and as somebody who'd been following them for a while, you know, if you listen to their first record, which was also a major label record, they were originally signed to Virgin in in the UK, right. Uh, and and you hear them just like sort of spastically at, trying to yes. figure out what a song is and you know which end of the guitar you put your fingers on mm-hmm. uh, to this, it's it's just shocking. Um, this is so confident and so well composed and so compelling. Um, it's it you know they're they're like at the height of their powers. And then you know to to see them do this live, they open with this every single night of the tour. Wow, um, oh, nice, nice. Yeah. And it's just, it's such a great way to kick off a show. And to this day, that's still, you know, that song is still in their sets. I was going to say, but having said that, that they never before made, or since, I'm guessing, made a record with this kind of rock and roll intensity. Um, and I don't want to use the word, I don't really mean it in a bad way, but there's a, there's a calculated aspect to that as well. We're going to make a rock, because some some groups are just rock and roll, but for a group to say, oh, we're going to make our rock and roll record, that's a different thing. There, there's some planning and some thought that goes into that um, instead of just, oh, well, what are we going to do You know, for this next record? Um, you know, We're going to sound like us. This is a conceptual rock and roll record. Yep. Yep. And they've done that, you know, they've, they've as, as they've gone along in their career, uh, the records get more and more like each one comes with a with a more explicit theme as they go along. Right. Uh, this was one of the first to sort of do that. Okay. Yeah. Say, okay we're going to write a bunch of songs and perform them in a way that you know all they're all sort of in working in concert with one another and commenting on some set of related phenomena. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, well, these are art school. These are art school kids, and yeah. and at some and, and in different spots you see them listed not just as a band but as a, a collective, as an art collective. You know, so I think that's uh, yeah, it, it's not just your typical rock band, obviously. And um, all right, so the first I I, I love the the first three songs in this record are great because you have a a different singer for each song, and they're sort of sound like. Uh, you, you know, they could be three different bands. Uh, so let's get, listen to the second song, uh, which has the um, 
the uh, Susan Honeyman playing her uh, violin, and then Sally Tim singing. Uh, this is Club Mikan. Because the, the the woman singing, is she the lyricist? Lyricist, or is it's a on it? You know, I don't know the answer to that. It's a it's always a good question with the Mekons. A lot of times, uh, you know, you'll be listening to a Mekons lyric, and then like you know, two or three years later, uh, you'll be reading a novel uh, or you know some Marxist crit- work of Marxist right, criticism, right? And you come across the entire lyric, which is actually what's going to uh, happen on the next song. Uh, okay. <laughs> so right. I, you know, I think I, 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 my understanding of their process is that you know stuff's done. A lot of times the lyrics are written on the spot. Uh, Sally Timms has said a lot of times they hand her the lyrics like you know moments before she steps up to the microphone to sing them because they're still finishing them. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't, I, 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 I don't know which member or which mo- which which couple of members wrote this one, but it, it sounds to me like one that was actually composed to them as opposed to copy and pasted from you know whatever work was inspiring them at the time. And I don't know if you have the hard, a hard copy of the record. A lot of times the tell will be in the the publishing credit so is all their stuff just credited to mecons or does it do they do you know whether they have individual yeah it's always it's always all songs written by the mecons okay and that's what it's i, I am looking at my lp right here uh, my uk okay. lp all songs written by the mecons Excellent. nice yeah, yeah. So that's uh, again that's the whole art collective type thing you know it's like everyone contributes so it's yeah. like yeah they're not going to uh nitpick it's well it's, inter- well it's also but it's more interesting when it comes to divvying up the publishing royalties so if you've yeah. had a lot of members over the years obviously there are shades of who i i doubt they're dividing the publishing amongst 27 people equally um, you're, so. you're, you're, you're presuming i mean as this record makes clear they're going into this recognizing that no one's ever paying them for what they're doing uh, yeah i see well, that too yes there's a great uh i actually read a great 
quote by John Lankford. He said, um, uh, commercially, about this record, commercially, it was our best-selling album, 25,000 sales was their best-selling album. And he says, for A&M, that was a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's all about oh, the yeah. perception. Oh, yeah. Well, know? think about how much you spend to make a major love record. Interestingly, when you talk about them being a collective, uh, a couple years ago, I brought a friend who I don't think had seen them before to, to a Mekon show in, in Santa Cruz. Uh, and we bumped into John before the show, and I said, I said to my friend, I was like, oh, this is John Langford. He's the leader of the Mekons. And he got really mad mm, at me. Yeah, wrong. Uh, no. Or like mock mad. And he goes, where, where are the Mekons? There is no leader. Right. Oh, that's and great. <laughs> and I reminded him of a show many years before in San Francisco when he had cut his hand uh, on his guitar and he'd had to leave the stage to go like get it bandaged up. And the rest of the band completely just fell apart without him. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I said, John, like literally they couldn't go on. And Sally Timms literally started saying, we need daddy. Where's daddy? Yeah. And yes. Langford's response to that was, well, yeah, I might be the daddy of the band, but right. that doesn't mean I'm the leader. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yes. Well, that's great. That's great, though. You know, that's a great, that shows, that's probably the reason why they kept it, even though, you know, obviously not all the same members, but still, they they were a really long-running band, right? Yeah. I mean, in, incredible. So it's probably that attitude, you know, helps that. Yep. They're still going. So 1977 to 2021. That's, yeah. That's crazy. Wow. That's amazing. All right. So now we get uh, now we get the Tom. How do you pronounce this guy's last name, Tim? Tom. Uh, I, I believe it's Greenhalgh. Okay. Greenhalgh. I've never, I've, never, I've never really heard anyone say it out loud. <laughs> well, you just did. So now that's how we pronounce that's it. That's the pronunciation uh, from now on. So he's uh, he's singing this one, and this is he's got a little more of a cool, understated uh, way that he sings, uh, and it's awesome. And this one's called "Only Darkness Has the Power." Can you, uh, uh, 
um, it, it's really what you were, what you had said before about uh, she said sometimes they're just writing the words and they're just handing to where they're doing it. There's a quality to a lot of the songs that it seems like they're just they have all these words that they want to put in there and they just make them fit in the song by singing them and, it, and it's really great, but it definitely gives a different quality to them because well, they a lot ignore of po- any poetic convention as well where. You yes, expect a yes. rhyme at the end of the line, and it, it completely does not rhyme at all. Uh, right. Well, what, one of the reasons for that in this song, uh, and I didn't realize it until after the fact, because I read the book after I'd heard the record many, many times, the lyrics are lifted directly uh, from a Paul Auster story, The Locked Room, which I think uh, is part of the uh, uh, okay. okay, so that's it, exactly. He's just making the words to that fit into the song. Um, <laughs> yeah, and they, they, they do that a lot, where they, it's like, I, I mean, again, I'm, I don't, I'm not privy to exactly how it works, but I sort of picture them in the studio, uh, you know, reading books uh, or magazines or whatever, uh, being inspired by something and then just literally handing Sally or Tom the pages and going, yeah, sing this. As a Mekons fan, though, that must have been awesome. You're like reading a book and all of a sudden you're like, wait, what is it? I know this. It, it, it was awesome, but it was also uh, it was it, it, it made me feel better about myself because, again, when we were on that tour, there, there, Too Much Joy has a song that we were doing in sets on at that time uh, called King of Beers. And if you're very familiar with the Mekons discography and you're semi-familiar with Too Much Joy's discography, it's fairly, there's some fairly direct connections between uh, one or two Mekons songs, both musically and lyrically in that one. Okay. Uh, okay. It so happens. At, yeah, it happens. And at one point on the tour, John Langford was giving me shit for ripping him mm. off. Uh, and I, I, I laughed and, and, and I said, really? I don't remember. I don't recall seeing a, a Paul Oster credit on. Oh, on- yeah. Right. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say on the previous track, Club Mekon, the intro very, very much reminds me of a Clash track from obviously the early 1980s. And I haven't put my finger on which one, but the, I, I, every time I hear it, I go, oh, it's something off of uh, off of combat rock, I think, and I'm not sure. If, I, I would say that's probably not intentional, but it is right there, um, and it's easy to easy to draw that line. And on this one, in the chorus, I believe I hear some that that accordion in there, but it's distorted and it's right up under the vocals, so you can't really tell. But I believe it is in there. There's a weird keyboardy sound, and I think it's the accordion. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, when you, you were talking about the, the beginning of Club Mekon, as just as it was playing before, I was sort of marveling at how those are clash chords, but, you know, with the with the guitar riff and the fiddle, um, those are clearly, you know, not lifted from country songs, but inspired by country songs. And yes, so it's basically definitely. like the clash playing, playing, you know, some old honky-tonk song. Yeah, uh, there's, and it works. There's, yeah, there's one track, there's one track on uh, Sandinista that has the, um, what's the track with the guy singing? Uh, oh, uh, lose his skin. Uh, lose his skin by Tyne and Dog, exactly. And uh, that's that, that may be what I'm what I'm uh, having deja vu about. Is uh, that right? I think maybe, yeah, that may be it. Actually, Barry, that's good. Yeah. Um, all right, so now we get in Ring of Roses. This is like it reminds me of like a waltz time, uh, like an Irish lament. And I, I, I thought of the uh, Pogues a lot. Like I hear the Pogues, uh, just the fact that they would have a lot of people on stage and they would have the accordion and sometimes violin. So some of their stuff reminds me of them. I think there's a little cross pollination there. Maybe, um, 
but this is really great. I, I I love this song, and I love how, like I said, you've got these different, completely different feels, you know, of, of these songs. And uh, this is uh, Ring a Rose. We're wrong, so wrong, so wrong, so wrong. It's not true. You would hold them up to your nose to keep away the stench of the dead bodies from the plague, as I recall. Isn't that right? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's why I like this. So this song feels like, you know, it's centuries old. It does. Yes. Beating in horror, hidden in darkness, so scared, a medieval graveyard, a nightmare with crosses of gold. Fear of disease, destroying the castle, the moat and the walls. Panic to separate, segregate, purify, and protect. So um, we all know what that feels like now, don't we? Yeah, yeah. It takes on a different. It's got a different tone now. Sure does. <laughs> it does. That'll never. <laughs> why? That never happens anymore. <laughs> now let me ask you, Tim. You when uh, when you and your uh, your girlfriend became your bride, when you guys got married, did you did you walk down the aisle to a uh, Mikan song? Please t- please tell me that's true. That you did. Not exactly. We eloped. Um, uh, I'll tell you. We, so the it, again, it does relate to this record, though. We eloped to New Orleans um, because New Orleans was the last show uh, that we played with the Mekons on their U.S. tour. Uh, my wife, who was she was not my wife at the time, we were just uh, well, we weren't even dating. We were just sort of hooking up. Um, but but it was uh, she lived in San Francisco and the band was based in New York. So she flew out to New Orleans because she loved the Mekon, she loved me, she loved uh, my band, uh, and it's like, oh, come out! I'll, you know, I'll get there a day early. I, I like ditched the band and got on a plane and flew from Austin uh, to New Orleans for the show. So she and I had a, an extra couple of nights in uh, New Orleans, and before on on one on the night off, uh, band got there. Uh, and so we were having dinner with with our band, uh, and then we were all going to go off our separate ways. And somebody had scored some ecstasy. Uh-huh. Uh, 
I looked at her and said, I'm afraid to take this with you because I'll probably propose. And oh, she dear. said, well, I'm afraid to take this with you because I'll probably say yes. And that was the moment when we both sort of realized that it was more serious than we thought it was. Yeah. Uh, so it was uh, three years later before I actually proposed. Um, but when I did, the important question is, well, did you take the ecstasy then or did you uh, not? Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 a guy in a rock band. What do you think I did? Yeah, of you course took they it. Of course, we they paid did. for it. You got to take it, that's right? Nice. That's no, nice. it, was, it was a gift from a fan. Actually, oh, oh okay. <laughs> that's a nice. That's a nice story, though, Tim. That's a very. That's a very sweet, heartwarming. Uh, do you have kids now? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, tell them that story, but leave the ecstasy part. Leave out. the drugs yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. we out. didn't tell kids <laughs> our kids stories that involved drugs until they were like eighteen yeah. or nineteen. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Well, we, we flew back. We flew to New Orleans to get married because of that night being uh-huh, the day right. the end of the night we realized we wanted to get married. And I did make a tape. We didn't play it during the ceremony or anything. Um, but there was a tape with all our favorite songs on it. And you can bet uh, several from this record were on that mixtape that we listened uh, to. Nice. See, I had a fe- yeah, I had a feeling. All right. Awesome. All right. So let's take uh let's take a little break now. Uh, I definitely I'm going to I'm going to move on from my hot chocolate and maybe have a little uh, cocktail to take the uh, the edge off. And uh, we're talking to Tim Quirk about Mekons rock and roll. We'll be back in a minute. Me High is produced in cooperation with the Uganda National Council on Opinion and Controversy, and sponsored by Is This Tomorrow? Is This Tomorrow is a series of illustrations presented in sequence, on a single page, once a week. Each week Is This Tomorrow assembles a narrative based on current events, using fictional characters to illustrate a salient point. Both creators of Is This Tomorrow hold doctorate degrees in propaganda, mind control, and truth and certainty in the detection of lies and falsehoods. Be sure and get a full dose of the truth, and also a follow-up dose one week later, at isthistomorrow.com. That is, thisthistomorrow.com. What kind? And you must have, but you must specialize in some kind of app. What kind of apps do you make? Yeah, I mean, my my mission is helping uh, people make a living making art. Oh well, that's oh, fantastic. Nice. Yeah. So a way for artists to market their product in a, a way that um, they're not exploited. 
Yeah, it's basically what I was doing with the with my company was basically taking all the lessons I learned about free to play mobile gaming distribution, mobile game distribution uh, when I was a KL, right, and trying to apply them to the music industry because the mobile game developers just make money hand over fist. Right, uh, they're just selling digital entertainment products. So I was like, if if they can do it, uh, you know, musicians can do it, and and movie makers can do it, and visual artists can do it. So. Excellent. Zed's liked what we were doing and, and had me adapt it for visual artists. Oh, fantastic. nice. That is fantastic. Uh, look, wow, he's he's much more accomplished than me or you, Barry. That's, uh, well, we got this show. <laughs> me feel I mean, bad about it. Yeah, that's true. We have the show. He he's is on our, our show. show. We're that's not true. on his <laughs> show. Good, that's good right. point. Good point. <laughs> this, is a, right. this is our 152nd week in a row doing this. Wow. Yes. It's a brutal schedule, but we got nothing else to do, so I can't yeah. really, you know. No, it, it's good though. It, it, it's good. I, I I enjoy the uh, discipline of it, you know. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> no, we'll see during the week where you have to do Hamilton whether I enjoy the discipline of it or not. <laughs> oh, you're probably you're going to get hammered in Hamilton. I know. I know you are. All yeah. right, you ready? Let's jump back into this. All right, we are back. This is Network got me high. That is Barry Stock, and that is Rob Elba. And we are talking to Tim Quirk. We are talking Mekons, and we are up to song number five. Let's listen to a little bit of Learning to Live on Your Own. Travels fast down the mm-hmm. wire, breaks up for it its own. Throw a rock and roll song on the fire. Learning to live, learning on, to your live own. on your own. Yeah, the the Mekon set. There's a category of Mekon song which is you know sort of ethereal music with Sally Timms's lovely voice just drifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, and this is one of those. And this is the uh, first place on the record that I hear um, a little bit of uh, my favorite Velvet Underground influence in the. Um, the groove of this one has got a little bit of there's a little velvet seat thing starts to creep in which disappears for a while and then reappears again right at the end of the record yeah yeah it's just gorgeous 
It is. And she was, so she's like a big addition to the band when they got Sally Timms, right? Because, I mean, uh, how, how many, she was, uh, like, how many records in did she join the band? Um, I believe she joined uh, on Fear and Whiskey. So that was like uh, 85-ish. Oh, okay. 85 or so. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, what a great addition to the band, though, you know? Oh, yeah. She's, she's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and my, you know, my Sally Tim story at the, at the start of this tour, the first night of the tour, um, you know, I mentioned the song, If I Was a Mekon, that, that Too Much Joy wrote. One of the lines in it is, it basically, you know, it's If I Was a Mekon, something, something, something. If I Was a Mekon, something, something, something. Uh, and I think the second line of the song is, maybe I could sleep with Sally. Uh, so the first night of the tour, I walk into the club, I think it was in Albany, uh, in upstate New York, and, uh, Sally Timms is standing at the bar and I say, Oh, hi, I'm Tim from too much joy. And she looks at me and she goes, I hear you, <laughs> you put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a bit awkward. <laughs> well, you did know. you, uh, cleverly weasel your way out of it with, uh, I just, no, I, 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 you know, it's one of those things where like an hour later I was like, Oh, this is what I should have said. But mm, all I could do, I just right. sputtered and I said, or John, because there's another line. The next line is or, or John Boy one night in Chicago. So <laughs> okay. right. I would have just blamed it on the, the, someone else in the band. Oh, you guys didn't write that. He wrote that. <laughs> um, no, you got to own it, but it's, that's it's hard. True. That's she's, true. she's a tough customer. She can stare you down. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Nice. I just, I don't know. That seems like such a crazy, not, uh, you know, when I think about it, it actually makes sense. But, but the uh, Mekons and Too Much Joy, like this this British art collective band and Too Much Joy on tour together. That that's, that sounds like a a, a wild, a wild tour. I mean, I, I would have, you know, if I wasn't in one of the bands, I would have loved to see both bands. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, me too. Um, all right, so now this song, I, I, I love this song, and, and um, I just want to point out, as Barry, we, we've mentioned this before, Barry, the prevalence, this is 1989, the prevalence of cocaine in, yeah. the, in, the, mid, in, in the mid to late 80s can, cannot be overstated, yeah. <laughs> how much it was in everything. You know, not just, you, you think of it in like big groups like um, Fleetwood Mac and stuff, cocaine, but it, it, was, it was all over, it was everything. It was, you know? yes. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's listen to this little. This is like a, a rock and roll drug drug story, but in the guise of like a nursery rhyme. Yep. Uh, this is a little ditty about cocaine, Lil. Later. 
listening to this now, I, I, I think, Tim, just thinking of Too Much Joy, this band, of course you love this band. This band is right up your alley, right? Because they're singing about cocaine? No, no, no. I don't mean I, I Just no. Yeah, not, no, not that's that. what he meant. Yeah, for sure. No, that, that's not what I meant. But the way, just the fact that they go to all these different weird places and, and the way that, you know, this is sort of like a little story, like a nursery rhyme thing and stuff. It's just, that's your wheelhouse, right? Yeah, I just, I love how this one, you know, it pairs nicely with Ring of Roses. It sounds like they are contributing a new song to the folk canon. Right. I don't mean Guthrie folk, I mean, you know, the 300-year-old song folk. Right. Uh, And it just happens to be about stuff that's going on in 1989. Mm. But, you know, in 2089 and 2189, it will feel old-timey. Right. Well, we did not get to the portion of the... uh, the lyrics of the song where the inevitable occurs. Yes, and, the inevitably uh, tragic ending. <laughs> yeah, along in the morning, about half past three, they were all lit up like a Christmas tree. When she got home and started for bed, she took another sniff and it knocked her dead. Yep. Don't do drugs, kids. No. Yeah. <laughs> there well, you go. Don't do That's cocaine, it. for sure. It's yeah, you'll, a, you'll, 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 you'll only go on tour with your favorite band and and uh, marry the woman you love. There no, you go. No, no, no. Right. Come on. That's not, uh, actual results may vary, Tim. Ooh, actual yeah. results may vary. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. So this next one, uh, which I only know because I, I read that the title was taken uh, from a book by punk novelist Kathy Acker, who, who I am – familiar with, who I was familiar with, but I didn't know she had a connection with these guys. Uh, This is Empire of the Senseless. No one's making any noise now. We've been waiting for so long. They took away our films and tapes and notebooks. It's okay, we self-censored this song. But these lines are all individuals. There's no such thing as a song. Even the silence are now guilty in me Empire of the senseless What's your line of questioning, sir? Empire of the senseless I can't intercept a one-word sentence Invent a war in secrecy Sliding scenery like a vintage toy Isn't plastic surgery wonderful? Satellite secret national security Turning journalists into heroes takes some doing Boring Ollie North down in the subway Dealing drugs and guns Turning little liars into heroes It's what they've always done You know what makes that song Is those background vocals You you, you faded it down just before the line This song promotes homosexuality Yeah, that's true I didn't do that intentionally But that will continue up in the edit That they continue (laughs) under our, our chattering So Okay and I should, um, there's a couple of things uh, as far as the title. Um, there's a, um, when I, I started thinking about 
the um, the title. There's a song by Bill Nelson called Empire of the Senses from um, Bill Nelson from um, what band was he in? Bebop Deluxe. Bebop Deluxe has a song called Empire of the Senses. And then there's also um, a, a, a Japanese film called In the Realm of the Senses. So, and I was looking when Kathy Acker's book came. I always look to see like who who got there first and who you know who who got to home base first. Um, but it's it's um, I'm not sure with this one, but uh, there definitely was uh, a, a Bill Nelson track, Empire of the Senses, from uh, early '80s and sometime. Yeah, and in this song, this song continues the meta theme of the album. The, there are some lyrics in it uh, right after the this song promotes homosexuality line. It goes, it's in a pretended family relationship with the others on this record and all the charts and on the jukebox. So they're basically you know, telling you explicitly this song is meant to comment upon uh, and, you know, be in relation to and, not and just the didn't songs they before edit and after. Out, wasn't there, they did self, they did actually self-censor um one track is that correct or is this the lyric that they self-censored there was a note no, it's, it's they it's a, it's a hilarious story but it comes up on side two so i'm going to save the story okay, for okay. The, the self-censoring it's more it's ah, less self-censoring okay. and it's more shooting themselves in the foot ah, oh yeah right. that's right which which yeah they're another and just reading about them you could tell they were they were a band that that is one uh, to do that that is just like uh, yeah, didn't give a fuck. At the end of the day, they just didn't give a fuck, or too too much of a fuck, I guess. Yeah, it's like I mean, well, again, I don't want to I don't want to do a spoiler here, but it's more that they were trying to prove a point, um, and in the process of proving the point, they which they totally proved, they fucked themselves. <laughs> Ah, nice. All right, so we get uh, this is song number eight there, which this one I hear a little stones like this is kind of a stonesy, uh, stonesyish rocker I think. Which they're a British band, so you you really you know of course hard you, to escape the Rolling Stones. Yes, it's, exactly. It's hard to escape. Uh, this is a I, I like this song though. I really do. And it, again, it breaks the fourth wall because they're singing again in it. They're singing about what they're singing about, like they're singing about uh, the song, writing songs on the record. Uh, this one is called. Someone. Top of the building, so 
So, Tim, when you first got this, you said you got the uh, tape of it. You had the tape of this, and you were uh, tooling around in uh, in Europe with this tape. Did you realize right away all the meta, how like meta it was, all the things that they were singing about? Did, did that? Did you get that right away, or is that something you just sort of, as you kept listening to it, it just sort of came to you later? Oh, I would say it, it leapt out. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to miss given the title of the record, right? Um, and the. <laughs> Yeah, it was, you know, my, my advanced cassette did not come with a lyric sheet, but the lyrics are all pretty uh, legible when you listen to it. They are, um, yeah, yeah. So I didn't get every last reference, I would say, until I finally got the LP and had the lyric sheet to pour over. Right. Um, but the fact that they were commenting on as well as playing awesome rock and roll was was crystal clear. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it's great. Yeah, that, that's just, it's, that's great. Who is, the uh, big, who, is, who is the big blonde teacher from overseas? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Since they're British, I, I, I'm guessing the big blonde teacher from overseas could be. Um, uh, is he? Is it? Is it? Well, who was president? And well, it could have been Reagan because he was president up through 1988. All his good works and philanthropy still can't make the stupid sound clever. I'm not sure that's Reagan, but it's. Uh, I, I think they have somebody in mind. Yeah, I would. My my favorite lyric in this song is, uh, you know, someone's buying a horoscope because the stars are concerned. <laughs> the about stars that. are concerned about them. Yes. Yeah, and <laughs> I think, you know, I I I'm you know I'm a I'm a pretty diehard uh, rational atheist person, uh, and a good way to get me to think very little of you is to tell me what your sign is or ask me what my sign is. Oh, okay. uh, and I've never really been able to articulate just why I find it so stupid until I heard that line. And there just you like, go. Like that, oh yeah, the stars give a shit about you. That's, yes. that's great. It, 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 it skews the whole notion in just a couple of words. Yeah. Right. So what the stones you're hearing is is the honky tonk woman. It's um, it's the the beat is explicitly honky tonk woman, uh, right, uh, right, right, or country honk, I think, as it was titled uh, uh, um, to begin with, and it's got that cowbell and that backbeat, and there's only you know, if uh, you play a G chord there, you're you're into honky tonk woman territory, right? Whether you like it or not. It's it's got to be deliberate because the very next song is explicitly about. Uh, white rock and roll bands, uh, you know, ripping off their black, black forebears. <laughs> yeah, all yeah, right, let's, well, let's do it. Let's do a little bit a of that. That's a subject here on our show, so yes. Amnesia. Waits in X 
Dense in this one, it's hard to even keep up with them. Yeah, but um, there is something in the first verse, and I kept I kept having a, uh, a tickling sensation in the back of my brain. Um, this song owes a little bit to um, "Toiler on the Sea" by the Stranglers, in both rhythmically and the way he's singing. He's almost got Hugh Cornwell's um, sneer uh, in this track. And um, but obviously they are the subject matter is much more um, pointed than Hughes uh, over you know uh, I think that song was about a a, a failed trip to France with a Japanese woman so uh, whereas this is about how rock and roll was brought to America on slave on slave ships that's right oh my God yeah Eric Burden stunned in Mississippi on the Animals U.S. tour Mardi Gras Indian segregation 1964 yeah. Um, and then he throws, yeah, he throws a little at the end, um, Truth, Justice, and Led Zeppelin, Heavy Metal Marine Corps. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, yes. It's nuts. It's bonkers. It's great, though. It's it's rock and roll. And it's also got a, it's also got a slyly modified Bo Diddley beat. So there's a, there's an, uh, uh, consciously or not. Um, one of the originators uh, of rock and roll is in there. And now we have a beautiful, a beautiful track again, uh, sung by Miss Timms. Uh, and this one, it, it, I hate to pin on people alt country because when you say alt country, it just sounds, I don't know, it just sounds bad. But it's like part alt country and then synth pop. You hear a little synth pop in this one too. Uh, yeah, I mean, the the, the Mekons were playing alt country before it had, you know, before anyone had a name. Right. Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, All right. So this one's called I Am Crazy. production sound it is they did go for it production wise 
Um, and uh, it's it's got the um, all of the textures and all of the sounds are very clearly demarcated and very carefully uh, um, separated in the mix. And it's very much a, a very much sounds like a big budget uh, rock and roll record from 1989. So um, there was no irony in that in the production. They did not. Um, they may have mixed a little distorted accordion in here and there. But for the most part, it's uh, it's um, um, right in line with a a, a a rock and roll record from you know on a on a major label from that era. And and Sally Timms is the band's secret weapon, and they're they're really smart about how they deploy her, you know, and when and where on their records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I have a feeling, Tim, this next song, this is the one that you you were talking about, you were referencing with the story, right? Is it the next yeah. one here? Yeah. yeah. All right. So tell us, let's hear this is the song Heaven and Back, which was not on the U.S. record, right? Right. I, I insisted we do the U.K. version of this album um, because it has the best songs on it that, that were left off the U.S. version. Heaven and Back is easily uh, my favorite Mekon song. My wife has instructions to play it at my funeral. Uh, literally, you know, one of the when when I die and my life flashes before my eyes, I very much hope I get to spend an extended amount of time on that 1989 U.S. tour because yeah. they played the song every night. It always killed. And Tom Greenhalgh, who sang, who sings it, he did this amazing thing where he he sort of like spread his arms like he was Jesus on the cross, and then on the chorus when the you know on this particular part when the chords hit, he would do this kick. And over the course of the tour, the whole band started doing the kick. And so, you know, I stood in, in front row every night on that tour because I'm just like a slobbering fanboy for these guys. Uh, and my not all of my bandmates would join me for the whole show, but <laughs> every one of my bandmates, as soon as they heard the opening of this song, they, they would appeared. Age, we'd put our arms around each other and we would do our kicks at the band as they were doing their kicks at the audience. Oh, and it was nice. one of the high points of my life. Um, and so, you know, I knew I, I the, 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 but the song wasn't on the U.S. version of the record. So I asked them, I was like, "What the hell? This is like this song kills every night. It's the best song on the record. Why isn't it on the record?" Uh, and I think it was we were we were fairly drunk after a show one night, and John Langford was explaining what happened to me. He said the you know their A and R guy in the states uh, was just such a bullshit artist, and he was blowing so much smoke up their ass, and he just kept telling them how great this song was, uh, and how it was a hit, and it was fantastic. Uh, and so you know they 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 kind of didn't trust him. Uh, and then a little while later, the, the label comes back as labels are wont to do with stuff like this. And they go, oh, the, you know, the record's too long. We have to cut two songs. Which two songs should we cut? Um, and so just as sort of a dare, they said, and, you know, uh, it's the same A&R guy who told them this was the best song and it was a hit. They said, oh, well, let's cut Heaven to Back. Um, and I think it was Ring of Roses was the other one that got left off. Yeah. Uh, and without blinking, the A&R guy goes, okay. Yep. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. So that's how the best song on the record wound up not being on the U.S. release. It was just them daring their, their bullshitting A&R guy to prove himself to be the weasel he was, which he promptly did, screwing the band. Wow, that's insane. All right, let's listen. <laughs> take a little listen to this song that wasn't deemed uh, worthy to include on the U.S. version, Heaven and Back.
<laughs> such a yeah, such a great song, and uh, it was crazy when I saw that. Well, this and the other, those, these are the two songs they left off. Although there isn't really a bad song on the record, but yeah, not not that one to leave off. Yeah, and I mean, and you can you can hear where the kicks go, right? Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I see them kicking right now. Were you and doing I, the kicks? Just, were you doing it just now? I, I mean, I was I'm under my desk. Yes, my foot was raised. Okay, you know. good. Uh, <laughs> and the thing is, so Tom Greenhouse, when he was singing this, he had this uh, just awesome. Like the Migrants were not a fashion conscious band, although they did tend to coordinate outfits and like you know wear similar country western stuff uh, <laughs> on some tours. Uh, he, I remember, he had this purple hoodie uh, that he wore, and like any time I, 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 I remember back to the band playing this song during that tour, I see him in that purple hoodie, uh, and he, I gotta tell you, he was just so beautiful and so charismatic when he sang this song and kicked in his purple hoodie. I uh, coveted that purple hoodie, mm. and I felt bad that I had not included him in the list of Mekons I wanted to sleep with. All right. Well, you know, there's still time, Tim. You get a uh, next um, um, Too Much Joy record. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do a sequel. Uh, all right. So now we get this song, which also this this next one is also I feel like a really catchy song that could that could have possibly been a radio hit if it didn't have this distorted violin and uh, <laughs> and you know uh, it, it, it it's a little out there and it gets it has kind of a psychedelic outro too. But uh, it's a really catchy tune. It's called Blow Your Tuneless Trumpet. it's made explicit in the um, final verse, the Dublin Messiah scattering crumbs, that this tune is a diss on Bono. Yeah, you gotta, I mean, the, the they had been playing this song, they, this song and I think Amnesia, uh, they were playing live uh, on the tour for the album before this record, so mm-hmm. I saw them do uh, Blow Your Tuneless Tom- Trumpet and I think Amnesia at the I-Beam in San Francisco. Um, before they, they went and recorded this record. So when I got that advanced cassette and I saw Blow Your Tuneless Trumpet was on it, I was so excited because mm. I, thought was, I thought that was the greatest song they'd ever written, having seen them do it live. And I was really looking forward to the record. 
And so then when I put it on and the first three songs were Memphis, Egypt, Club Mekon and Only Darkness Has the Power and all of them were as good as, if not better than Blow Your Tuneless yeah. Trumpet, I knew I was in for something amazing. But right. you got to love a song that's a big middle finger to Bono. Mm, yeah, I would say yes. <laughs> he has been pilloried on this show. Poor Bono, he has. Probably not as much as, probably not as much as Sting, but he has been pilloried. <laughs> that's true. He's in there. He, 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 did not, there. he did not make a Jaguar commercial. So the Jaguar commercial is always... What I, I, I go to is my go-to for my Sting whipping. Right. But then again, also, Sting never showed up on all of our phones either. In, uh, true. True, true. <laughs> you weren't involved in any of that, were you, Tim? Um, no, although I do. If you want to hear it, I have a funny story about that, that ridiculousness. Um, I had mentioned before, I think during a break, that uh, I had a, you know, at one point I had my own company. Yes. Um, it was building apps for musicians. And so we were, con- my co-founder and I were constantly pitching labels and managers uh, to get their artists to use our app uh, to distribute their albums like mobile games. Mm-hmm. Basically give them away for free and monetize after the fact. Right. And mm-hmm. I was at Live Nation's offices pitching a guy who uh, was working, I think, for Maverick. Um, and I didn't necessarily know his history, but I was I was sort of explaining our model. Um, and to illustrate the wisdom of our model and the idiocy of what labels were doing, labels and artists were doing with digital distribution to date, I cited that the travesty of when uh, the forced, YouTube the forced was, album, yes. Yeah, and and I started. I was just talking about like what a bad idea it was and how terrible it was, and my co-founder was kicking me under the table, and I didn't know why. And so after the meeting, as we're walking out to our rental car, uh, he goes, "Well, we're not getting that deal." And I said, "Why?" He goes, "Tim, he, I tried to stop you, but he's the guy who did that." Yeah, he, uh, well, you dodged. You dodged a bullet. Oh my god! I just spent a half no. hour telling him what yeah. an idiot he did. Yeah. You dodged a bullet, though, because that indeed, think about how long ago was that? And it's still infamous in, yeah. in the in the annals yeah. of digital music history. Oh, no one. No one will forget that. And no one. No one. I didn't listen to the fucking record. The first thing I tried to do was get rid of it because I thought, fuck you guys that, you know. <laughs> And it, t- it ties in with, you know, why someone would, in 1989, would write a diss track of Bono because yeah. Bono was the type of guy who, it would just never occur to him that there are people in the world who don't want his record. Yes. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with him? <laughs> uh, all right, so now we get, um, Greenhouse uh, sings this next one, and his singing is definitely distinctive. I, I really like how they have the different uh, singing because he's definitely got a more like a more pleading, uh, fragile quality to his voice. And uh, this, uh, this one, I really, uh, I really like this song too. Uh, and it's got like some kind of weird attention to this song and it's called Echo. Bloody slam, I've looked at all. The 
crystal clearness of that summer morning Two lines of sulfate sparkled on the glass The same thing happened with that echo As with what happened in my heart I'll take a free ride on a wooden horse It's going round and round and up and down Don't ask me to give up my Polish dreams I ought to know just who I am So in case you in case you wonder what the weird tension is, it's the fact that this song it's um, Sister Ray, <laughs> um, Duck and Sally inside. They're cooking for the down five. It's like uh, the Velvets how they did Sister Ray at the when uh, after John had left the band, it turned into this like slow dirgy thing where Lou would sing the lyrics, and it's got that same feel and. Um, and, and oddly enough, drugs appear in the second uh, second verse here. Two lines of sulfate sparkled on the glass. Amphetamine sulfate, the uh, the driving force behind the uh, rapid tempos of British uh, punk rock and new wave music. And yet, this is so much prettier than Sister Ray. Oh yeah, no, yeah, of course, it is. of course. I spent I spent so much time stoned listening to this record and then just then flipping that cassette over and over um, yeah. again. Uh, and any time I got to this song, I was just I, it was so blissful. I I cannot I cannot figure out how and why it works. Um, but I can, there are two songs that I love: "Bank Robber" by The Clash and this song that I have actually sat down and tried to figure out, like compositionally, how they're doing what they're doing, and tried to do something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wow. And just you know, given up in frustration. Yeah. I know. I don't know. The thing about this I like is that it sounds like the like he's singing it, and it sounds like he's barely hanging on, but he's powering through. He's like he's barely holding it together. Uh, you know, right doors won't open, but the wrong ones do. Why waste time waiting? just walk on through take this pill and wash it down i'll bring out the i'll bring out the beast in you so he's uh you know and it's just sort of got that uh melancholy feel to it and uh it's very um this song has a purse has a personal quality to it that some of the songs on the rest of the record have a more um, a more commentary they're more of a commentary or more meta where this one just seems like this is a person talking about being sad, and that right. sort of sets it apart from uh, um, the the rest of the record. Right. Yeah. One, and one, one thing I, I, I want to call out here is that you know because I'm I'm just so in love with the bass on this song, uh, you know. And I mentioned on this tour that's when Lou Edmonds took over on bass, and the seeing them play live every night, it was clear that you know Steve Golding, who was a pro and had you know been doing this for years. When he got connected with Lou Edmonds, as, and that yeah. was the reaction for the band when they played live, yeah. they were so tight and locked in and so good at what they did that they let, you know, that allowed the rest of the band to be as shambolic as they needed and things never fell apart. Right. Once you, if you got a good rhythm section, you can do whatever, everything else follows. 
Yeah, and what, you know, one of the reasons the people who love the Mekons love them as much as they do is that their shows truly can be transcendent experiences. They can also be like utterly shambolic messes, but even then, they're usually funny. Um, but when they're when the band is on uh, and 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 they're locked in and they're just hitting everything right, uh, it's it's like no other band I've ever seen. And that's largely on this particular tour. It was largely because the rhythm section was so fucking amazing. Mm. Right. Oh, that's awesome. I should also end, hearkening uh, back to an uh, episode a couple of weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, this song was definitely referenced by uh, Dean Wareham's band Luna. Uh, they have a song called 23 Minutes in Brussels that oh, yeah. is virtually identical. And it, it he's either copying Sister Ray the same way they were. I suspect hmm. Dean may have heard this because when I heard this, I was like, oh, my God. This is uh, uh, it's 23 Minutes in Brussels by Luna. And, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's but I it's hear, great. I, I hear what you're saying, Barry. Though I do hear the Sister Ray ca- cadence, just like the cadence of everything. And it's what's well, got the mo the Mo Tucker drum beat. Once you yeah, exactly, once you start yeah. doing that, it's hard to you, you you you've entered that universe. All right. So now the record ends uh, very very wisely with a very pretty duet uh, with Tim's and uh, Greenhalge um, and some really pretty violin. And it's almost like a fifties. It's got like a fifties love uh, lament feel to it. Um, but of course, it's a little darker than that. And it's called "When Darkness Falls." which are distinctly at odds with the uh, um, plaintive uh, tune that's being offered uh, 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 underneath it. They're dark. They're dark. Now I'll cut out your tongue because you have said enough. Watch the blood (laughs) drip down the wall as darkness falls. And then um, in the next verse, seven hours of questioning and calls. Now I'll cut off your hands because they have gone too far. Yeah, but when that the thing is when that violin's playing, all right? You just forget about all that. Just yeah. those those words and that timbre. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I would like gladly just sit there and be like, oh yeah, you want to cut out my tongue? Yeah. We're not gonna test that theory, but we will give you the benefit of the doubt. 
beautiful. Uh, um, so, yeah, Tim, thank you so much. This was a great record to bring in. I, I have a feeling uh, there's going to be people that are just like, oh, my God, I never knew about this record. But I know whenever we do stuff like that, there's always tons of people there's that go, a hard, there's oh, some yeah, hardcore I love fans. that record. Yeah. Yeah, there's some hardcore that, fans of the Mekons. Oh, yeah. I, the Mekons must have played at some point a legendary show in Boston because our Boston bands have friends have talked about this show the Mekons played there in the early 80s or maybe 1980 81 something like that and it left a uh, um, a deep impression on everyone who was there wow yeah Yeah, I, I believe it um, so, so Tim, when uh, I know, so it's uh, I know actually my dear friend Brian Franklin who told me he he did do your the Kickstarter for the record, so he does have the new uh, Too Much Joy record, and he, he said it's great, it's fantastic. But when in in March when it's released, where's the best place of uh, people to find it? Um, I mean, you know, it will be uh, if you want to support the band, go buy it from Bandcamp. Um, there you go. It'll be, it'll be, you know, it'll be on the streaming music service of your choice. And if you, uh, if, if you just like to hear music and you don't want to think too much uh, about how much uh, the band earns, go listen to it wherever you want. I just want people <laughs> oh, to hear yeah. it. Right. Go to Bandcamp. We we always recommend. Well, I should to- mention that the Mekons, this album is available in uncompressed audio on Bandcamp as well. So if you want to listen to Mekons Rock and Roll and support the Mekons, you can go and pick up the record there, just like we did for this show. That's right. Excellent. All right. Yeah. Thanks again, Tim. That was great. And uh, next week, Barry, oh, we're doing a, a a classic. I'm sure we're going to be getting some letters about this one or some emails well, about this. Well, you know, I, I, uh, if we had to do um, a Springsteen record, I uh, I think this is a good one to do. So um, I don't have yep. any arguments with that. Okay. We got our good friend Brady Newbell uh, is going to come on and talk about the wild, the innocent, and the East Street Shuffle. Right. Uh, we're tackling Bruce. That's next week. Uh, don't forget, guys, follow us on Instagram at that record got me high. And how do they support uh, us? How do we get our support? Up? You know what, Barry? They should go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH and uh, you can become a patron of our show, as many people do. We're going we're gonna to have a new uh, patron curated. We're going to announce that one. We'll have to come up with another good uh, patron curated episode as we are wont to do. Um, and uh, But if you want to get in on all that and get the newsletter and all that, go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh and become a patron we would really appreciate it exactly also, also that facebook group got me high um you could email us at trgmh33 at gmail.com or hey assholes at that record got me high that works as well um thanks again thanks again tim for yeah, being a guest you, tim. thank you guys this was fun good I'm glad, and hopefully we'll do it again. And uh, good luck with everything. Good luck out there in California. I hear that basically the California. I don't understand what's going on out there, Tim. What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, North, they're, they're, you got to separate Northern California from Southern California. I know, everyone always says okay. <laughs> everyone always says that. All right. Well, hopefully we'll all uh, we'll all get through this. And uh, thanks again for listening. Once again, that is Barry Stock, and that is Rob Elbow. And we'll see you guys next week. We are out. Preachers in the pulpit just trying to save souls.
and his daughters out on the highway corner selling sweet jelly roll. Selling sweet jelly roll. Selling sweet jelly roll. Says his daughters out on the highway corner selling sweet jelly roll. Hear the preachers in the pulpit jumping up and down. And the sisters back in the amen corner, they're still going bound. They're still going bound. They're still going bound. Says the sisters back in the amen corner, they're still going bound. Thank you.